0: Of Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady, this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gillum, Bettis Bledrus, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady by Samuel Richardson comprehending the most important concerns of private life and particularly showing the distress that may attend the misconduct of both parents and children preface the following history is given in a series of letters written principally in a double yet separate correspondence between two young ladies of virtue and honour bearing an inviolable friendship for each other and writing not merely for amusement, but upon the most interesting subjects, in which every private family, more or less, may find itself concerned, and between two gentlemen of free lives, one of them glorying in his talents for stratagem and invention, and in communicating to the other, in confidence, all the secret purposes of an intriguing head and resolute heart. But here it will be proper to observe... For the sake of such as may apprehend hurt to the morals of youth, for the more freely written letters, that the gentlemen, though profess libertines as the female sex, and making it one of their wicked maxims to keep no faith with any of the individuals of it who are thrown into their power, are not, however, either infidels or scoffers, nor yet such as think themselves freed from the observance of those other moral duties which bind man to man. On the contrary, it will be found in the progress of the work, that they very often make such reflections upon each other, and each upon himself and his own actions, as reasonable beings must make, who disbelieve not a future state of rewards and punishments, and who one day propose to reform, one of them actually reforming, and by that means giving an opportunity to censure the freedoms which fall from the gayer pen and lighter heart of the other. And yet that other, although in embusing himself to a select friend he discovers wickedness enough to entitle him to general detestation, preserves a decency, as well in his images as in his language, which is not always to be found in the works of some of the most celebrated modern writers, whose subject and characters have less warranted the liberties they have taken. In the letters of the two young ladies it is presumed, will be found not only the highest exercise of a reasonable and practicable friendship between minds endowed with the noblest principles of virtue and religion, but occasionally interspersed such delicacy of sentiments, particularly with regard to the other sex, such instances of impartiality, each freely as a fundamental principle of their friendship, blaming, praising, and setting right the other, as are strongly to be recommended to the younger part, more especially, of female readers. The principle of these two young ladies is proposed as an exemplar to her sex, nor is it any objection to her being so that she is not in all respects a perfect character. It was not only natural, but it was necessary that she should have some faults, were it only to show the reader how laudably she could distrust and blame herself and carried to her own heart, divested of self-partiality, the censure which arose from her own convictions, and that even to the acquittal of those, because revered characters, whom no one else would acquit, and whose much greater faults her errors were owing, and not to a weak or approachable heart. As far as it is consistent with human frailty, and as far as she could be perfect, considering the people she had to deal with, and those with whom she was inseparably connected, she is perfect. To have been impeccable must have left nothing for the divine grace and a purified state to do, and carried our ideal of her from woman to angel. As such is she often esteemed by the man whose heart was so corrupt that he could hardly believe human nature capable of the purity which on every trial or temptation shone out of hers. Besides the four principal persons, several others are introduced whose letters are characteristic, and it is presumed that there will be found in some of them, but more especially in those of the chief characters among the men and the second character among the women, such strokes of gaiety, fancy, and humour as will entertain and divert, and at the same time both warm and instruct. All the letters are written while the hearts of the writers must be supposed to be wholly engaged in their subjects, the event at the time generally dubious, so that they abound not only in critical situations, but with what may be called instantaneous descriptions and reflections, proper to be brought home to the breast of the youthful reader, as also with affecting conversations, many of them written in the dialogue or dramatic way. Much more lively and affecting, says one of the principal characters, must be the style of those who write in the height of a present distress, the mind tortured by the pangs of uncertainty, the events then hidden in the womb of fate, than the dry narrative an animated style of a person relating difficulties and dangers surmounted can be, the relator perfectly at ease, and if himself unmoved by his own story, not likely greatly to affect the reader. What will be found to be more particularly aimed at in the following work is to warn the inconsiderate and thoughtless of the one sex against the base parts and designs of specious contrivers of the other, to caution parents against the undue exercise of their natural authority over women in the great article of marriage, and to warn children against preferring a man of pleasure to a man of probity, upon that dangerous but too commonly received notion that a reformed rake makes the best husband. But above all, to investigate the highest and most important doctrines not only of morality but of Christianity, by showing them thrown into action in the conduct of the worthy characters, while the unworthy, who set the doctrines at defiance, are condignly, and as may be said, consequentially punished. From what has been said, considerate readers will not enter upon the perusal of the piece before them, as if it were designed only to divert and amuse. It will probably be thought tedious to all, such as dip into it, expecting a light novel or transitory romance, and look upon story in it, interesting as that is generally allowed to be, as its sole end, rather than as a vehicle to the instruction. Different persons, as might be expected, have been of different opinions, in respect to the conduct of the heroine in particular situations, and several worthy persons have objected the general catastrophe, and other parts of the history. Whatever is thought, material of these shall be taken notice of by way of postscript, at the conclusion of the history, for this work being addressed to the public as a history of life and manners, Those parts of it which are proposed to carry with them the force of an example, ought to be as unobjectionable as is consistent with the design of the hall, and with human nature. NAMES OF THE PRINCIPAL PERSONS Miss Clarissa Harlow, a young lady of great beauty and merit. Robert Lovelace Esquire, her admirer, James Harlowe, Esquire, father of Clarissa, Mrs. Harlowe, his lady, James Harlowe, their only son, Arabella, their elder daughter, John Harlowe, Esquire, elder brother of James Harlowe, Senior, Anthony Harlowe, third brother, Roger Solmes, Esquire, an admirer of Clarissa, favoured by her friends. Mrs. Harvey, half-sister of Mrs. Harlowe. Miss Dolly Harvey, her daughter. Mrs. Judith Norton, a woman of great piety and discretion who had a principal share in the education of Clarissa. Colonel William Morden, a near relation of the Harlowes, Miss Howe. THE MOST INTIMATE FRIEND, COMPANION, AND CORRESPONDENT OF CLARISSA, MRS. HOWE, HER MOTHER, CHARLES HICKMAN, ESQUIRE, AN admirer OF MISS HOWE, LORD M, UNCLE, TO MR. LOVELACE, LADY SARAH SADLIER, LADY BETTY LAURENCE, HALF-SISTERS OF LORD M, MISS CHARLOTTE MONTAGUE, MISS PATTY MONTAGUE, nieces of the same nobleman. Dr. Lewin, a worthy divine. Mr. Elias Brand, a pedantic young clergyman. Dr. H., a humane physician. Mr. Goddard, an honest and skilful apothecary. John Belford, Esquire, Mr. Lovelace's principal intimate and confidant. Richard Mowbray, Thomas Dolman, James Tourville, Thomas Belton, Esquires, Libertine Friends of Mr. Lovelace, Mrs. Moore, a widow keeping a lodging house at Hampstead. Miss Rawlins, a notable young gentlewoman there. Mrs. Bevis, a lively young widow of the same place. Mrs. Sinclair, the pretended name of a private brothel keeper in London. Captain Tomlinson the assumed name of a vile panda to the debaucheries of Mr. Lovelace, Sally Morton, Polly Horton, assistance of and partners to the infamous Sinclair, Dorcas Wykes, an artful servant of the vile house. End of Preface